You are listening to an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's Word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org. All right, we are looking at walking in the will of God, and we began with the emphasis on walking in the Spirit and what that is about. Uh, that is the umbrella truth Uh, for all the other exhortations for walking that we are going to be looking at in the next few weeks. So walking in the Spirit is, in essence, uh, the believer uh, walking in the thoughts of the Spirit. And so then that begs the question, well, how how do we know what the thoughts of the Spirit are? Another question would be, where, where can we interact with the thoughts of the Holy Spirit. Um, <clears throat> and the answer to that is in the book that he's written, uh, the Bible. Uh, that is, this is the only source where we interact with the thoughts of the Holy Spirit, the thoughts of God, as the purpose of this book is that we may know God, we may know Him, His ways, His will, His purposes, His plans. And so God has written this book, and God the Holy Spirit is the one who moved men along, and they recorded what God wanted recorded as he moved them along in their thoughts. That's what Peter tells us. And so the Holy Spirit has recorded the thoughts, the plans, the purposes, the ways, the wills, the commands of God in this book. This is where we interact with the thoughts of God. So walking in the Spirit has two key components. A prayer, we talk to Him, and With that, he talks to us through his word. And so walking in the spirit is, for the believer, is in communication with God in prayer and at the same time uh, just taking in his word over and over and over again so that we are absorbing his thoughts. And then we choose to align our thoughts, our ways, the course, the conduct of our life with what God says, with the thoughts of God as found in his word. That's walking in the Spirit, and that's what we are called to do, what we are commanded to do, and again, this is the umbrella exhortation that all the other walking exhortations fit into, and we're going to move on to a second of those exhortations this morning, uh, and that is to walk in love. This is a key priority for God, for the believer. This is a priority <clears throat> that, is, that is clearly expressed in Scripture. Example, one day Jesus was asked, uh, Master, what is the greatest commandment? He was asked this by one of the uh, scribes. And uh, that was, he, he, a scribe was part of the uh, class of men who were given to the study of Scriptures and the articulation of Scriptures and who were to have a great and in-depth knowledge of Scripture. So he asked the question of Jesus, what is the greatest command? And Jesus answered, the greatest command is this, you shall love, no, you shall, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That is the greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it, Robin. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two greatest commands. 
And the two greatest commands had the key word in them of love. Jesus later in his ministry said to his disciples, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you what? If you love one another. There's that word again. Love one another. Jesus again said to his disciples, <clears throat> If you love me, That's right. Keep my commandments. If you love me, that is the priority. That is the expression of love for God, is to keep his commandments. We just need to focus on that. And we'll bump into that again this morning as we look at some scriptures. So obviously, love is central to our relationship with God and our relationship with one another and our relationship by way of testimony to the world around us, to humanity around us that does not know Christ. It's love. And so we are in this series of exhortations on how to walk is to walk in love. So I want to talk a little bit about some uh, two key words in, used in the New Testament uh, for love, translated into the English love, affection, uh, companionship. Um, it, it has various English translations, but the two key, and it's most often translated love from both of these words. First word is agape, <clears throat> or that's the noun form of it. Agapao is the verb form of it. And in essence, it speaks of a giving act of love on the other's behalf. I mean, you, you open up a dictionary, a Greek dictionary, that uh, talks about and interacts with the different Greek words and their, what they mean <clears throat> and how they're used. And this word for love has a lot. And... To distill it down, the essence of it comes down to this. It's a giving, active love on the other's behalf. This is the uh, noun form, the verb form that is used in each of the exhortations that we'll look at this morning, is agapao. The primary emphasis in agapao is action. It's not the only nuance and not the only meaning as part of agapao, but this is where it's at. This is what agapao is getting at, is action. And you see this as you see the word used throughout the New Testament. Uh, love is expressed in action. And that's what is used when Jesus said, if you agapao me, if you agape me, be keeping... My commandments, that's action. He says, you know, I really don't primarily need, although he would not um, dismiss it, even though we can't physically do it. He says, I don't primarily need a hug from you. I don't primarily need your verbal affirmations that you love me. Although it's not, 
it's not discouraged. Because he wants us to focus on the essence of love. And that's taking action. If we say to our spouse that we love them, but our actions are always selfish and uh, (laughs) self-oriented, that expression of love means little, if anything, because the actions of our life are not consistent with the expression, our verbal expression. And, and I think that's one way that love really gets misused and abused today is uh, people use it and say, oh, I love you, I love you. And, and then they turn around and treat them like dirt or they mistreat them or, you know, they, they don't really care about that individual. It's so easy to say, I love you. And so agapao, the primary uh, emphasis is on action, but also in there is attitude. Uh, action and attitude. Uh, obviously, attitude is connected with our actions, most typically. And so agapao also embraces the attitudes that we bring to any loving action that we do. And then affection. There have been those who have sought to distinguish between these two primary words, agape, and as we'll see in a minute, phileo, and, <clears throat> and seek to drive the difference in this way that agape is talking about a self-sacrificial love, which it is. It's an act of the will, it's a choice, which it is. But then they seek to contrast it by saying that phileo is, is the love of a friend. Uh, it's it's, it's a love of companionship. Uh, it's not as strong as agape. And that's, that's getting, that, that would be incorrect. And in so doing, they leave the idea that when, when agape is used, it's just kind of this intellectual thing that you do. I love you. Or... I love you in the Lord, which usually means I'll put up with you <laughs> because I really don't like you. But I love you in the Lord. <laughs> no, you don't love the, me or whoever it is in the Lord <laughs> if all you're doing is putting up with me. That's not love. But it's the idea of, of leaving out of agape any um, nuance of affection. So, Affection is present, but it's subtle. The primary focus on agape is action, taking action uh, in whatever expression of love we're called to. So it's action-oriented. Filet, phileo, speaks of the warmth and affection of love. So it's not two different kinds of love. It's love. It's kind of like a coin. you got two sides to it. And, you know, in a, hus- in a husband-wife relationship, you don't want just agape. You, you want the warmth and affection. And you don't want just the warmth and affection. You want the action, too. It's both sides of the coin. And phileo is emphasizing that aspect of love that, that really emphasizes the warmth and affection of love. Some have said that phileo is the love of, of a friend. It, it's that level. 
Well, it is that, but it's more than that. It goes more than beyond uh, the, the love of a friend type of an expression. So with that understanding, basic understanding of these words, the key word here, the, or the word that we're looking at, is agapao. <clears throat> so we are going to start looking at uh, three different passages this morning and uh, working our way through them. And the first one is found in Romans chapter 14. So open your Bibles to that co- uh, portion of your of Scripture. And... <clears throat> In Romans chapter 14, Paul's talking to the Romans about uh, some issues um, that were present among them, and obviously I would say other local churches too, and personal preference types of things, and, uh, but not just personal preference. These, these choices went beyond preferences. Some of them believed that uh, their choices were uh, to be were, were biblically based and founded. And Paul says there's a way to work through this. There's a way to work with this. And he talks about that in the first 12 verses. Um, <clears throat> and we're not going to spend time looking at the first 12 verses. Uh, the exhortation is found uh, following that. Verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore as it pertains to what we eat, what days we celebrate or don't celebrate, um, those types of issues. Let's not be judgmental about that. But rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Let's let's resolve that we're not going to uh, be the kind of person that is a problem to a fellow believer because of our attitude. Um, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So that was one of the issues, and that goes back to Jewish connections, of which Paul knew because he was Jewish. And he says, I've I've come to understand from the word of God that there is nothing unclean of itself. Now, in the Old Testament, in the era that, uh, of the Old Testament, was there a distinction between clean and unclean? Yes, and who established those distinctions between clean and unclean? God did. But in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, uh, since the time that Christ uh, rose again from the dead and established the church, are those distinctions maintained? Who ceased the maintenance of those distinctions? God, in the person of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, I I understand there's nothing unclean in and of itself. So obviously there were those who were hung up on that. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, so there is another issue, clean and unclean food, if he's grieved because of what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. We are to be walking in love. We're to be agape is used here. You're no longer walking in agape. 
And we are to be walking our, uh, in agape, conducting the course of our life according to agape, according to love. In other words, a giving act of love on the other's behalf. So he says, this is how it operates. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. And in the Jewish context, there's an easy one to pick out on that. Just because you realize that now you can have pork. Don't eat pork if it is going to be a problem to a fellow believer. Don't have the attitude that says, that's their problem. Here's what the Bible says, and they're not willing to embrace it, and that's their problem, not mine. Why should I limit myself? Why should I not enjoy something that I truly enjoy because he or she isn't mature enough to recognize that it's, it's okay for us to have pork now? That's the attitude. And Paul said, don't, don't destroy that brother or that sister in Christ because of your choice, because of your attitude, be the way that you treat them in light of this. He says, don't elevate food and your personal choice to a point to where you are actually causing a fellow believer to stumble, to have issues. That's not love. That, that's not a giving active love for that fellow believer, for their benefit. Therefore, verse 16, do not let your good be, be spoken of as evil. So even though you can eat pork, but you're doing it knowing that it is a problem and issue to this fellow believer, the good that is there, you're causing it to be something that is spoken of as evil because of your attitude and your approach in the way that you handle this. For the kingdom of God is not eating or in drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He says, this is what, this is what God is about. God is about, um, he's not about what you eat and drink. Everything's fine. But he is about righteousness, doing that which is right in God's sight. And if anybody is wondering, how do I know what is right in God's sight? And the reason I ask that and put it in that way is because there are those who think that, that there's no absolute source of what is truly right. And there is. It's God in his word. And not, furthermore, not only is he a source of that, he is the one to whom everyone is accountable. It's the absolute source. There is right, there is wrong, established by God that flows from the nature of God. So the kingdom of God is about righteousness and pursuing that righteousness and peace, not ticking people off, not, not rubbing them the wrong way intentionally. Enjoy in the Holy Spirit by conducting ourselves with an attitude and a spirit and a disposition of love a choice of love, that promotes joy. Selfishness only promotes self-joy. And that is not lasting. So it's joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God. This is how we serve Christ. This is a different way of thinking. 
This goes against the flesh. We serve Christ by embracing this approach and these attitudes and embracing uh, the way of love, the love of God, as we interact with one another on a very practical basis. This is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Our, our goal is to edify one another. Not to say, see it my way. <laughs> Let's do what we need to do to truly edify one another, build one another up in the faith. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. So he says it again. Don't be destructive to what God is doing because of your selfish attitude. Even though you can do it in the sight of God, the choice to do it is harmful to another believer on some level don't do it. So don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things in need indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. So it's evil to do that. that that's an evil attitude, an evil disposition. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak, weak in the faith, weakened in the faith. He says, that, that's good. Don't, don't do anything that goes down that path. He says, do you have faith? In other words, do you know and understand that you can eat everything because that's what God's Word says? Have it to yourself. It's not your responsibility to play the role of the Holy Spirit and go around and inform everybody that isn't of that understanding yet and be pushing them and prodding them and forcing them. Just have it to yourself. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats. But he does not eat because he does not eat from faith. For, for whatever is not from faith is sin. An amazing statement. And that's why it's imperative to understand faith. Faith is an informed trust in God and what he says. And so if we understand from God's word, using this very real-life example of that uh, time, that all food is clean, and we eat on, with that understanding, that's fine. But if we don't have that understanding and we eat and we think that, oh, I don't know if this is right or not, then that's sin because we're not eating on the basis of an informed trust, the information of God's word, the information of God's truth, and acting upon that truth. That's what faith is, acting upon the truth of God, trusting him, trusting what he says. So that's why it's important for us to grow in the faith, the body of truth that God's given us. Grow in the faith. And so there's the first exhortation. Love requires that we truly are truly more concerned with our fellow believers' spiritual well-being and growth than our personal choices and preferences. That's what love requires. We can still have our personal choices and preferences. It doesn't mean one or the other, but it means 
My and your priority is the personal spiritual well-being of everyone in this room above my personal preferences and choices and that I take action to help build that and maintain that. That's God's way. That's what it means to follow Christ. This is walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is walking consistent with the truth of God's Word. One of those very specific ones is walk in love. And if we're not walking in love, guess what? We're not walking in the Spirit. We are walking in disobedience. Ephesians 5, 1 through 5. located here. Therefore, Paul says to the believers at Ephesus, be imitators of God as dear children. And so we're to imitate God. It's like, wow, okay. (laughs) That's a pretty tall task. But that's what we're commanded to do. Paul doesn't say, this is a good suggestion for you. This, This would be a superior way of life compared to other ways of life. I suggest this to you. It is an option. As though there's a smorgasbord of options for the believer to choose from. There's one meal on the serving table that God provides for how we live for him and follow him. We're to imitate God as dear children. And the first thing he moves into is, and walk peripateo, the course, the conduct, the way of our life, and walk in love. By the way, that's imperative. Imperative tense in the Greek, which means, hey, it's our responsibility to do this. We are to walk in love. This is what we're called to. Now watch this. As Christ also has loved us, and given himself for us. Whoa. Wow. That's complete. That's thorough. That's unending. I mean, there's so many nuances to that for us to consider. That's how we are to walk in love. Look how Jesus lived and conducted his life in relation to the Father and the Spirit and in relation to people. And look at the truths and the concepts that he taught Grow in our understanding of them and embrace them and apply them. But he goes on to say, has loved us and given himself for us. That's action, isn't it? That's that giving giving active love on our behalf. That's astounding. That's astounding. 
from a very fundamental point of view, consider this. He gave himself for us. Was humanity seeking him? No. Paul tells us, quoting from the Old Testament, there's no man that seeks God. No, not one. We weren't seeking him. Um, were we, was, was humanity asking for God to send his son? No. When Christ took on human flesh, was conceived and grew in the womb of Mary, did God do that because humanity or even a portion of humanity was asking God, pleading with God, please send us your son? Was there any invitation for him to come? No. And John gives the testimony in the very first chapter of, of the Gospel of John. He came unto his own, and his own being who? Jewish people, but it would have been the same whether it was Gentiles. doesn't make any difference. Human heart is a human heart. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. That word received means to take to oneself. Lambano. He came into his own, and his own received him not. They, they did not take him, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to themselves. In a broader sense, in that same chapter, it says, men love darkness rather than because they're are evil. That was all part of the general character of men as to why Jews and the nations had rejected God. In other words, I'm painting a picture here that Christ's love for us and his giving of himself for us wasn't because we were, do, we were even asking for his love, wanted his love. In fact, the Jewish people spurned his love and the Gentile nations would have spurned his love too. No difference. But that didn't stop Jesus Christ from that giving act of love. For in John chapter 3, we know this verse well, but it is a powerful verse. For God so loved the world, agapao, that he what? Gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He did it because he loved humanity and loves humanity. He took action, even when humanity was and still remains an enemy against God, hates God, despises God, rejects God, doesn't want God. That's the power of God injecting into agapao, a fuller, richer emphasis of a giving act of love. Now, why do I stress that? 
Because it's easy for us to return love where we have love expressed toward us. It is difficult to love those who are just incorrigible. Even more difficult to love those who are not only incorrigible, but just flat out hate you. But that's what Jesus did. That's, that's one small nuance. I shouldn't say small, but it's an important nuance. But, but that's one nuance of this, of this uh, comparison that we're called to, to love. As Christ also loved us and has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma, he fully gave of himself for us, the unlovely, the rebellious, the wicked, the evil. So that through faith we might have eternal life and be restored to a right relationship with God. And so that, that's, we're, we're called to love on a different level in a different way altogether than anything that this world can even begin to put together to express love. We don't look at comparisons in the world. We look at Christ. We look at God in the person of Christ and, and God's love expressed through the person of Christ and his attitudes and actions. And that is what we pursue. That is what we embrace. That is what we choose as the expression of love as we follow Christ. Verses 3 through 5, by contrast, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. Boy, our culture has just broadly more and more embraced that which is vulgar, that which is corrosive in its speech. We must not allow that on any level to penetrate our conversation. Just because it's more relaxed and more accepted in the population around us in the world, that, that's, that's not what we're called to. The coarseness of speech, what comes off of our lips, that's, it's not to be any of that. Verse 4, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting. So much of comedy today is filled with those kind of expressions. Which are not fitting, but rather giving of things. It's not fitting to use our tongues in that way. It's not fitting for the believer for those who know the love of God and seek to live according to the love of God, that, that kind of conversation, just it doesn't fit. But we are to be giving thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, 
nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That's a powerful statement. It should make people shudder in their souls if they are characterized by those patterns of life. Well, let's go on to Second John. We'll hit that. Standard of our love is that love that Christ has for us. And then Second John, God tells us through John in this little letter, this little epistle, that uh, love is expressed by keeping his commands. I rejoice greatly, John said, that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandment from the Father. He says, I rejoice in that. That is awesome. And now I plead with you, lady, as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. This, this is what I write to you. This is a commandment, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. Not some experience that we think is a wonderful expression of euphoric love for God. God says, this is love, that you walk in my commandments. <laughs> this is a commandment that, as you have heard from the beginning, that you walk in it, that you should walk in it. He says, this is it. Walk in love. And walking in love is walking in my commandments. And in those commandments are going to direct us on how to interact with one another, how to interact with government authorities, how to interact with uh, people that uh, are, are not believers, how to interact with enemies, how to interact with family. I mean, the commandments of God deal with every area of life. And so by keeping the commandments of God, we're loving God. And that love of God is going to penetrate every area of our lives. And so John informs us that walking in love is walking in the commands of God. And where do we find the commands of God? I know you know the answer to this, but we're just going to answer it. Where do we find the commands of God? The Word of God. So if we're going to know the commands of God, where must we invest a significant portion of our attention, priority, and time? In the Word of God you got to know them. We have to know them before we can attempt to practice them. So we're getting right back to that umbrella truth. Walking in the Spirit is walking consistent with the Word of God. So just wonderful exhortations, and uh, let's love one another in accordance with the command and the call of God upon our lives, and let's renew that command, let's renew that commitment Let's love one another and walk uh, and conduct our lives in accordance with what God says in his word uh, on those personal interactions. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the time we've had together in your word. We, we're grateful for the blessing of your word. Lord, what, what a masterful uh, gift you have given and provided 
the written word of God. We open it, we read it, we interact with it, we understand it. The Spirit of God uses the word of God, your word, to accomplish your will, your plan, your purpose in our lives. We thank you for this. Thank you for this gift. Thank you for the gift of your Son. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for the gift of a certain future of what lies ahead as revealed in your word. So much to be thankful for, Lord. And we are. And help us to be that encouragement to one another in the faith. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. This has been an audio recording from the ministry of Jefferson Town Bible Church in Jefferson Town, Kentucky, where we gather to proclaim God's word. For more information, please visit jtownbible.org.